You know, pastoring is a, it's a funny thing. It's a unique position. As a pastor, sometimes I, I feel like I live out my life in front of the church. I stand before you every week and I speak and share with you the things that God's doing in my life as I'm trying to explain God's word. And I find that I've reached a, a stage in my life where some days I have emotional days. And uh, today appears to be one of those days because tomorrow would be my mom's birthday. And, uh, you know, as I, I think about that, uh, the older I get, the more important I realize the relationships are that we have, the people that are in our life, the things that we focus our time and attention on. You know, there's a million things you can go out and do from here but there's only a few important ones. And so my hope as a pastor is that every week I point you to the important things. I remind you of what we ought to raise to a priority so that we can live the very best life that God has for us and enjoy all the benefits that come from the people that he put into it. And so I just want to say thank you for being here today and ask you to pray for me right now as we we just pray before we enter into the study of God's Word. Lord, I need you today. I need you every day. I, I full well know that in and of myself I can do nothing. And I know that on some days I feel even more weaker than on others. And I thank you for that. Because on those days that I feel strong are the days that I rely less on you. Lord, I want to rely wholeheartedly on you today. I want to move myself out of the way and put you in center view. Father, I pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit, that you would direct my thoughts and my words. Lord, I pray and ask that you would help us to learn how we can draw closer to you through the lives of others who've done so. Father, I pray for others who may be having an emotional day like I am. I pray, Lord, that they would be encouraged by your word and your worship and by your presence here today. Lord, may we help each other along this journey of faith, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Over the past 12 weeks, we've explored the hazards of being drawn away from God. Our focus this year is to draw near, and we spent the first uh, few months looking at that, but then we realized, hey, there's some hazards out there, there's some obstacles that are out there, and so we spent 12 weeks, and more specifically, we examined the lives of people who were drawn away. Uh, like Jonah, Lot, Samson, Saul, Solomon, Peter. Through these biographical studies, uh, we attempted to identify what it was in them and around them that drew them away from God. We learned that, didn't we? And I think that's one of the reasons why God records those details for us because there was something in those people that desire to get away from God that was enticed by something else. For the rich young ruler, it was covetousness, it was possessions. For others, it was different things. But there was also something around them that drew them away. We live in a hostile environment. And the greatest danger of this hostile environment is that we think it's not hostile, that we uh, believe that we are living in a peaceful time and that we have nothing to be concerned about when, in fact, the enemy has orchestrated an entire environment around us that is designed to tempt us and entice us to try to attract whatever it is in us to draw us away from God. 
I, I did that, that study on those who were drawn away, not to exploit their failures, but to, to help us address and avoid those same dangers that are in our lives. Because the fact is, some of the stuff that was in Saul is in me. Some of the stuff that was in Solomon is in me. Some of the temptations that, that Peter experienced are the same ones that, that I'm going to experience. And so we need to be able to address those things before they happen and, and do our best to avoid them so that we don't find ourselves uh, pigeonholed in a situation where we're bound to fail and fall away from God. After all, what's better than learning from your own mistakes? Anybody know? <laughs> learning from somebody else's. <laughs> That's better than learning from your own mistakes. Your own mistakes are painful. Your own mistakes are expensive. Your own mistakes often leave scars that you have to deal with for the rest of your life. And so if you can learn from somebody else's mistakes, you're, you're benefiting in the right way from that. And so that's what I hoped we would do over the last 12 weeks as we looked at those folks. Now I want us to look at the lives of uh, biblical characters like Enoch, Abraham, Jacob, and Joseph, Naaman, and Hannah, and others, and, and learn their secrets on how they drew closer to God. I want to offer a counterbalance to those biographical studies of people who were drawn away. Now I want to look at people who drew near to God what was their secret what was it that that helped them to draw near and to get closer to God and to resist the temptations and to avoid the pitfalls I believe this is the recommendation of Hebrews chapter 12 when the the writer of Hebrews says this in verse 1 wherefore seeing we also are compassed about by so great a cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight and the sin which has so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That is written on the heels of Hebrews 11 where we have 16 different biblical characters who have just been held up to us as examples of the faith. And God recommends this to you and I so that we can look at that gallery of witnesses and examples who've gone on before us and to learn from them how we can lay aside the weights that are going to weigh us down and the sins that so easily trip us up so that we can run with perseverance and patience towards that finish line knowing that it is Jesus who is the architect and the finisher and the builder and the completer of our faith. You see God recorded details about certain people in the Bible to aid us in our journey of faith by their example. The first person in our study is Enoch. And I want to give you all the biblical info about Enoch. Enoch is one of those guys that we don't have a lot of verses about in the Bible, but it is recorded in three different passages. The first one is Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. We're going to read that. And then we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 5 and 6. And then Jude 14 and 15. We're going to read all, all the information in the Bible about Enoch. Genesis chapter 5 is the first mention of this man Enoch. And it is in verse 21. It says, And Enoch lived sixty and five years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God. After that he begat Methuselah three hundred years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And so that's the first mention. If you would, now go with me to Hebrews chapter 11. 
I told you Hebrews chapter 11 records information about 16 different Old Testament characters, people from the Old Testament as an example of faith. And Enoch makes that list in this hall of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11 verses 5 and 6, we get this divinely inspired commentary about Enoch. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Can I point out to you, this is how we interpret the Bible. We interpret the Bible with the Bible. So we learn about Enoch. We learn that Enoch walked with God, and Enoch was not, for God took him. Well, what does that mean? Well, Hebrews 11 tells us that God translated him out, that he did not die. And the reason that God did that was because he was a man of faith who pleased God with his faith and faithfulness. And then the last installment of information we receive is in the little book of Jude, and it is in verses 14 and 15. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And so again, we learn a little bit more about Enoch. Not only did he walk with God, but he prophesied for God and he prophesied against the ungodliness that was going on in his world and he foretold about the coming judgment of God. The summary of Enoch's life and spiritual success is stated in, in this phrase in Genesis chapter 5 that is repeated, Enoch walked with God. That little phrase is the summary of Enoch's life and Enoch's spiritual success. This little phrase expresses Enoch's faith. It expresses Enoch's fellowship. And it expresses Enoch's fidelity to God as confirmed by these cross-references. What do we know about this walk with God? Well, we know that he had to have faith to walk with God. What do we know about this walk with God? Well, we know that he had fellowship with God. What do we know about this walking with God? Well, we know he had fidelity to God. He was faithful to him all the way to the end. This is a simple message today. It's not complicated. But please do not confuse simple with easy. What I am going to tell you today is not complicated or complex, but it is difficult. It's difficult to do what Enoch did because of our sin nature and because of our sin culture. There's something in us that doesn't want to draw near to God and there's something around us that tries to impede us from drawing near to God. And so even though what I'm going to tell you is simple and you're going to walk out there and say, well, I know that and I can do that. When the rubber meets the road, it's not easy to do. There's a reason why Enoch's the only guy, well, one of two guys who was translated out who did not see death. 
What he did was not sophisticated, but it was hard. It was challenging. It's difficult. Here's some things that'll be helpful for you to know. Adam was still alive when Enoch was born. Like, where are we at in, in the Bible? Well, Adam was created, Genesis chapter 1, end of the chapter. Chapter 2 gives us more information about that. Uh, Adam and Eve begin to have children, uh, Genesis chapter 3 and 4. And then Genesis chapter 5, we're told they have another son, Seth. And then in verse 21, Genesis 5:21. now we learn about a man being named Enoch. Jude told us he's the seventh generation from Adam. You have to remember before the flood, these lifespans were much longer than after the flood because of the environment in which God had created the world. And so Adam was still alive when Enoch was born. In fact, Adam lived until Enoch was over 300 years old. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? I mean, that's something that is important to us to know because Enoch would have heard the story of creation from Adam. Adam knew the origins. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And even though Adam wasn't there on the first day of creation, uh, God had revealed it to him. And even though he wasn't there on the second and the third and the fourth, even though his day of creation didn't come until the sixth day, Adam was the closest to creation on planet Earth. And in that time period of 300 years that Enoch had to interact with Adam, he would have heard the story of creation that God is the creator. He would have heard the major theological impetus of the fall that Adam in his soberness would say, we didn't trust God. Even I chose to disobey God. We ate the forbidden fruit and we cast humanity into the depths of sin and we are living a life that God didn't mean for us to live, but he's made provision for us to live it because he's a God of grace. Adam would have shared with Enoch how that they were exiled from the garden, how that God had created a perfect place for them to live where there were no thorns, where there were no thistles, where there was no death, where there was no dying. But because of sin, they lost that paradise. And now they live under the curse of sin. Now they are subject to uh, the evils of sin. Enoch, uh, his name is a Hebrew word meaning dedicated. In, in fact, it, it, it's the verb form that's translated Enoch, meaning dedicated. The, the, the noun form of the word is translated in places like Proverbs 22, train up. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. Why do I tell you that? Well, I point that out to remind you that Enoch had some help in his walk with the Lord. Enoch wasn't just a pioneer who did this on his own. You know, we as Americans have this misguided vision that, that what we do, we've got to do with our own two hands. And, and that if we're going to really succeed and, and excel at something, it's going to be something that we have taken the credit for and we've done the work. And let me tell you something, nobody succeeds that way. Not even the most celebrated American succeeds that way. We always have to attribute our success to the shoulders of others. 
We stand on the shoulders of those who came before us. We stand on the developments of those who came before us. We are the beneficiaries of knowledge that was passed on to us, even if it wasn't in the classroom. We have learned some things by the people who are around us, the people who raised us, the people who taught us, and the people who trained us. And Enoch is no different. Enoch is the beneficiary of that type of training. And it was what enabled him to walk with God. He had some teaching, he had some training, but it was up to him whether he received it or rejected it. The same is true for you and I. We get teaching, we get training. There are people who pour into our lives. There are people who live examples for us. There's an endless stream of information that we can draw from, but you and I now have this individual responsibility as to whether or not I receive that information and I act upon that information or I reject it and I ignore it and I do my own thing. And so let's learn from Enoch how he was able to draw near to God using those resources that God gave to him. Number one, Enoch had faith in God. Enoch had faith in God. I'm afraid that we have gotten to the advanced stage in our world and in our Christian lives where we think about faith like kindergarten or we think about faith like the ABCs. Oh yeah, that was the very first thing that I learned. That's what I learned in vacation Bible school. That's what I learned in Sunday school, that I need to have faith in God and I believe in God and I believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again the third day and I got saved and my faith is how I got saved. I believed and I got saved. And then we start to move on from there as if faith is something that was just at the beginning and not as continuous. Now here's the fact. Faith is the approach. You can't even get near to God if you don't have faith. It's impossible to please Him without faith. No man comes to the Father but by faith in Jesus Christ. We must have faith in God to approach Him. Let me tell you something. Faith is not just kindergarten. Faith is the entire educational system of the Christian life. It begins in faith. It continues by faith. It ends in faith. That's why Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. From concept to completion. It is faith. And so let me ask you, how's your faith today? You see, because there's a lot of us who have a strong faith in Jesus Christ that he died on the cross to save us from our sins, but we don't have much faith that he's going to do anything for us now. We don't have much faith that he can work in my life. We don't have much faith that he can do something for me in this dark and depressing world. But I'm telling you, Enoch had faith, Hebrews 11, 5 and 6. By faith, Enoch was translated, the Bible says. You see, faith must believe that God is. Isn't that what Hebrews said? We must believe that he is. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. We must believe that he is. Hey, it's this simple. You either believe in God or you don't believe in God. You have faith in God or you don't have faith in God. There are plenty of people who say, I don't go in for all of that. Well, my mama's religious. My granny was religious. But you know what? I don't believe in that religion stuff. You don't have faith. You either have faith in God or you don't have faith in God. And then... You either have faith in God as he's revealed himself or you have faith in a God that you've imagined. Now, sadly, there's a lot of people who think they have faith, but their faith is in a God that they've imagined. Well, I don't believe that God would judge the world. You're believing in an imaginary God. 
I don't believe that God would send people to hell. You're believing in an imaginary God because what you find is that Enoch's faith said God is going to judge the world. He is going to execute judgment against the ungodly. Genesis 6, the judgment came. Revelation 20, the judgment is coming. We must believe what God reveals about himself. Yes, he is a God of love. He loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you and he wants you to believe in that, but you also must recognize by faith that he is the God who must judge sin. And you cannot imagine God to be less or more than he actually is and call that faith. And so Enoch believed that God is. We can discern from the fact that he lived contemporary with Adam for 300 years that he believed that God was the creator. Do you know what is being attacked in our society today? You know what's been attacked for the last 165 years, uh, which was really propelled with the advent of Darwin's origin of species? It is that God is not the creator. That this is all some big cosmic accident. That there's no purpose or meaning to light. You're just simply a collection of cells. Well, if that's the case, friends, there's no reason to have any moral code. If there's the case, there's no reason to have any laws about murder or anything because we're just a bunch of coincidences, and your life doesn't have meaning, and my life doesn't have meaning if there's not a creator who created us in his image. Do you believe in God, the creator? Or have you compromised that belief because you had a few snarky college professors or you've heard a few video clips of somebody belittling that position? And you think that it makes you sound like an ignorant hillbilly to say, I believe God created heaven and the earth. See, we must believe that he is as he has revealed himself. Enoch knew that God was not okay with sin. Right? How do I know this? Because Adam was kicked out of the garden for sin. And Adam lived at the same time of Enoch, and he would have told Enoch about that. He would have known that God judged them for their sin. And so he can't live life any way he wants to. There is a God who has a set of laws and rules and codes and morals to live by. And if he's paying attention, he has figured out, well, hey, uh, Adam and Eve didn't follow the one rule that they had, and it got them into trouble. I'd be a fool to think that I can improve upon God's program. Enoch had faith in God. Not only did he have faith in God, as Hebrews says, that we must believe that he is, but that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You know what Enoch had faith in? He had faith in God, and he had faith in the fact that it was good for him to believe in God. What's the benefit of your faith? Well, the benefit of your faith is that you invite God into your life, that you get the presence of God in your life. I got saved years ago, October 13th, 1995, and my life forever changed because God moved into it. And instead of having a life of purposelessness and chaos and confusion, I now have a life of purpose. I have a life of peace. I have a, have a life where God has moved in and he has changed everything about my life. Let me tell you something. If God didn't do one more good thing from me from here on out, I've already received more than I deserve. I've already been rewarded more richly than I deserve to be rewarded. 
Hey, let me tell you something. Anything above hell is bonus because hell is what I deserve. And if I could be so bold, hell is what you deserve. It is what our sins call for. But God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Aren't you glad we don't have to wait until we die to get those rewards? I mean, too often we focus on that. Well, I'm living for a crown. I'm going to have a mansion in heaven. Hey, I'm going to be living on the street of gold. I'm going to be enjoying life the way it's meant to be enjoyed. Hey, let me tell you something. God rewards you right now. The very fact that the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of you gives you something that the rest of the world doesn't have. It does give you a purpose, and your purpose is to glorify your Creator. It does give you a peace. You and I don't have to worry and stress like the lost world does because we have the Comforter who lives inside of us. Let me tell you something. God rewards those who diligently seek Him. Do you know why a lot of Christians don't diligently seek God? Because they don't believe He's worth it. It's not worth it. It's not worth imposing those things upon myself. It's not worth it. I'll just wait to get my rewards in heaven. Friend, you're missing out on what God has for you. You're missing out on the faith life. You and I need to have faith. Like If you want to draw near, then you and I have to live a life of faith. We have to step in a path by trusting Him. Even when it doesn't look like it is going to be to our benefit. We walk by faith, not by sight. When's the last time you stepped out on faith with God, doing something that you believed he wanted you to do, even though it may not make sense in the moment? Enoch had faith. Number two, Enoch had fellowship with God. Enoch had fellowship with God. Genesis chapter 5 repeats the phrase twice, Enoch walked with God. Enoch walked with God. That word walked harkens back to the first time it was used. It harkens back to Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve had eaten the forbidden fruit, they're hiding out from God. You know what the Bible says? It says, they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden. Seems like an odd thing to say, doesn't it? How does the voice of God walk? Why does it say it that way? Why didn't they hear God walking? Why didn't they hear the voice of God calling? It's because God is laying a foundation for you and I to understand that Enoch had entered into a fellowship. Adam and Eve hid when they heard the voice of God. They didn't want to be around God. They didn't want to affiliate with God. They didn't want God coming near to them because of what it would expose about their sinfulness. But Enoch embraced that. He wanted to walk with God. He wanted to be with God. He wanted to be near to God. I'm reminded of what the prophet Amos said in Amos 3.3. Can two walk together except they be agreed? How do you walk with God? Well, you've got to walk with him when you walk his way. You don't walk with God because God joins you. You walk with God because you join him. What way is God walking? Well, if I want to walk with him, then I better start matching his pace, right? I can't go on my own path and expect God to walk with me. Too often we jump into something that we want to do, and then we, we pull the parachute. Oh, God, please bless this endeavor. Please bless this activity. Please bless this business. I'm going, well, hold on a minute. You should have stopped and asked God, what direction is he going? And you should have found out and matched his step. Where does God want you to go? You see, 
Enoch lived his life to live close to God. Walking with God, really practically speaking, uh, happens in a couple of ways. We walk with God in His Word. You see, that sounds fine and good, and, and the implication is that Enoch really actually walked with God. Like somehow God manifested Himself and Enoch walked with Him. And if that's not happening today in our dispensation, then how do I walk with God? How do I follow the example of Enoch and have that kind of fellowship? Well, one is you walk with him in his word. There's no accident that God in Genesis chapter 3 verse 8 said that his voice walked in the garden. And what we are finding is that God is putting an emphasis on his word and that if we want to walk with him, then we need to walk in his word. We need to read his word. We need to learn his word and we need to live his word. How's your walk in the word? I want to draw near to God. I want to have fellowship with God. That's wonderful. When was the last time you read what he had to say? When was the last time that you wanted to hear his voice and so you opened up the pages of his book and you listened as you read the words he inspired? Some of you have done a better job at hiding from his word than Adam and Eve did. Right? Isn't that true? Too often we keep that book shut, closed up tight. We don't desire to learn it because if we learn it, then we have to live it. And so if we want to walk with God, we've got to walk in His Word. But another practical way that we walk with God is through prayer. Prayer is communing with God. First and foremost, it is communing with God. We oftentimes put the emphasis on praying on confession. We think, well, this is my opportunity to confess, and this is my opportunity to ask for God to do things. But really, the, the first operation of prayer is communion. Our Father, which art in heaven... Hallowed be thy name. I mean, even before we get to the praise, hallowed be thy name, we start with the relational term, our Father. It is fellowship. It is nearness. It is communion with God. I know from my own life experience that prayer time is a precious commodity. And too often it is easy to be overlooked. And we feel the pressure of the day and we hit the ground running. And we take off doing all the things that we got to do. And we run into frustration after frustration. And we're responding to things in a way that we don't really want to respond to. And we can't figure out why we're acting this way. And we remember, I haven't communed with God. I didn't take time to get down on my knees and to just spend some time, some sacred time with my God. Just enjoying the relationship that I have with Him. Enoch took the time. You know what? Enoch had to say no to some things if he was going to schedule time to walk with God, didn't he? And you and I are going to have to say no to some things if we're going to make time to walk with God in His Word and in prayer. Prayer is communion and prayer is confession. Prayer is that place where we have the opportunity when we have blown it, when we have messed up, that we can come to God and commune with Him and confess to Him, Lord, I, I've sinned, I've failed, forgive me, help me, enable me to live your life by your power. I'm telling you, if we want to get close to God, we have to have this fellowship like Enoch had. Third, Enoch had fidelity to God. Enoch had fidelity to God. Fidelity is the idea of being loyal. 
faithful. Not wavering, not backing off, not changing direction, just faithful. I told you the message is simple. It's not a complex message. You have to have faith. You have to have fellowship. You've got to have fidelity. You and I need to put our faith and trust in Christ when we live by faith. We need to seek to spend time with Him every day in word and prayer. And you and I need to uh, seek to be faithful to Him all the way to the end. It's not just about how you start. It's about how you finish. Let me tell you something. It doesn't always get easier the further you go. Because here's what I've discovered about life. While I may be getting stronger and growing spiritually, the world is getting more wicked. The world is getting more sinful. The temptations are becoming more numerous. The opportunities, the distractions, all of those things are increasing as time goes on. It's not just true for your day and for my day. It is true for Enoch's day because do you know in the very next chapter, the world has gotten so bad that God destroys it by a flood? And never before had he ever done that, and never after has he done that. The next judgment that is coming like that is described in the book of Revelation when God judges the whole world. So this world that Enoch is living in is not a friendly environment, and it is getting worse. In fact, in Genesis 6, 5, it says that God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. They did not contain thoughts of God. Their thoughts were absent and devoid of God and godliness and godly things. And we need to follow Enoch's example and remain loyal to God in our ever-increasing wicked culture. And I know that the world is putting more pressure on us. But you and I must remain faithful to the Lord. We must remain loyal to the Lord. Enoch's fidelity to God would not allow him to remain silent. Although he was in the minority, he had to speak up. Would you look one more time to the book of Jude with me? Jude, whose little book is placed as a precursor to the apocalyptic, apocalyptic writing of Revelation, is preparing us for the end times and reminding us that things are going to get worse and that we must earnestly contend for the faith, that there are those who will try to infiltrate the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and to teach false doctrines and to lead astray into compromise. And it is in this little letter that Enoch gets this mention when he says in verses 14 and 15, Enoch also the seventh from Adam prophesied of these sayings, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all. Notice the use of the word ungodly to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Do you think Jude was having writer's block? Do you think that Enoch was at a loss for a better word? Or do we acknowledge that the Holy Spirit of God inspired Enoch to prophesy this and Jude to record it? 
And he repeated this word ungodly four times in this verse. What do we find here? We find that Enoch has fidelity to God, that he is not succumbing to the pressures of our sinful culture. He's not excusing it. He's not saying, well, you know, that's just how kids are today. Well, that's just how the world's going today. Well, I guess we just got to change our policies here at the church because we don't want to offend any certain groups. No, he says it's ungodly. It crosses the line of what God said. And if you and I are going to remain faithful as individuals, and if you and I are going to remain faithful to God as a church, we cannot remain silent when God has spoken. God has condemned some things in this world, and you and I don't need to excuse them or apologize for what God has said. God has said that it is wrong to take the life of a human being, and that includes a human being in the womb. God has said that marriage is between one man and one woman, period. God has said that sex is only sanctioned inside of that heterosexual marriage. God has said that there are only two genders, male and female. God has said that homosexuality is an abomination to him and that he will judge it. God has condemned some things and God help us not to excuse them. If we're going to draw near to God, then we've got to say the same thing that God says. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Do you agree with God? You see, because if you've got an issue with any of those things, your issue is not with me. Your issue is with the God who placed them in Scripture. We must not compromise on the truth of God. Our faith in God, our fellowship with God ought to draw us nearer to Him. Let me tell you something. I have fidelity to a woman in this room. Almost 22 years ago, I made a vow that I would marry her, that I would stay with her in sickness and in health, that I would protect her, that I would defend her. You know what my fidelity would do? My fidelity would defend her if you were attacking her. If you were speaking against her, if you were trying to do something to her, my fidelity is going to cause me to step in and take up her cause. So if I'm going to have fidelity to God, if I'm going to walk with God, if I'm going to have that relationship like God describes in his word where we are married to Christ, then my fidelity is going to cause me to take up his cause. And when his name is being defamed and blasphemed, I'm not going to be able to remain silent. When what he loves is being treated as garbage. I cannot remain in silence. If I'm going to walk with him, I must speak for him. We must not betray God by our silence. It is time for us to raise our voices like Enoch. He knew he wasn't popular. He was in the minority. And we know that we're not popular. We know that we're in the minority. But I'd rather be in the minority with God than in the majority with the ungodly. This is true fidelity. And this is nearness to God. Would you bow your heads with me?